Well, today, uh, obviously, uh, it's one of those days, we should do it more often, uh, where we talk about what is a really huge claim. It's a claim that has lasted thousands of years, and it's not the only claim of its type. Uh, there have been other claims of miracles and risen from the dead and a whole bunch of other things. If you ever study the history of religions going back seven or 8,000 years, you have a lot of stories, but the reason why you know this one and not the other ones is because this is the one that lasts. This is the one that stood the test of time. That's very, uh, it's very rare you find someone come across the resurrection story and not have a reaction. A few years ago when I was living in Seattle, uh, there's a really neat uh, headline in the paper. Uh, there was, a man, there was a, a man who was flying home and he uh, had a dog and a dog carrier. And when the dog carrier arrived at Seattle International Airport, the, ba- the baggage handlers picked it up and realized that the dog was dead. And so they're nervous. They're freaking out. They don't want to lose their jobs. And so they tell the guy, you know what? Your dog got rerouted to Phoenix. Come back tomorrow and we'll have your dog for you. And uh, so he says, okay, and they proceed to go out and get another dog, the exact match of this dog, right down to the color, hairline, everything. And they take the old dog out, they put the new dog in, and, uh, and he's there. And, and of course, the next day, the man shows up, and they say, here, we've, we've got your dog for you, ready for pickup, come on and get him. And the man walks up, looks in the cage, and says, that's not my dog. And the baggage handler says, sure it is. That's your dog. That's, that's the same dog you had. That's, that's the dog. That's your dog. The man says, excuse me, there's, there's no way this could be my dog. He says, now why is there no way it could be your dog? Because my dog was dead. I was shipping him home to be buried. And without blinking an eye, the baggage handler goes, oh, great God, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. The dog rose from the dead. <laughs> You know, whenever you come across resurrection stories, they always have that sense of power. And, and we call it the good news. You know, that's part of the gospel is the good news. But just because it is good news, does it make it true news? You know, on John chapter 20, verse 19, it says that on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together... With the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Remember, they were hunting them down because they thought they stole the body. It says, Jesus miraculously came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. One moment on the evening of the first Easter, Jesus unexpectedly appears behind a locked door, behind a closed door. And his first words to his gathering is, peace be with you. And people needed peace that night. All of a sudden, he was with Mary. And he was communicating to Mary, Mary, you don't have to go through life being afraid anymore. Not afraid of life, not afraid of death, not afraid of anything. All of a sudden, he's with Peter. He says, Peter, you don't have to feel guilty anymore. 
for all the failures you've had in your life. And Peter, I know they are many. And they are recent. Peace be with you. He says to Thomas, Thomas, you don't have to doubt anymore. You don't have to have doubts about me. You don't have to have doubts about God. Put your hands. Watch me eat and know that I'm not a ghost. You're not just tripping out. I'm here. I'm real. Peace be with you. And all of us would say, that's good news. But you got to come down. Is it true news? Just because it's good news, is it true news? Let's face it. The human capacity to make up a good story, I mean, we all have it, you know? Fits right in with all of our hopes and all of our dreams. You know, we want to be more than just atoms and molecules swirling around a body. Some cosmic accident that just blasted into space, combined, and made this earth. It's good news, but is it true news? In the 19th century, I'm sorry, in the first century, the Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. It's really my only verse for today because it is a verse we always have to go back to and acknowledge. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, if Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. All your hope, all your dreams, all the blessings of an afterlife filled with peace, filled with God, filled with Jesus. It's all for nothing if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. In fact, if it's true, then the resurrection means that there is life after death. That our existence doesn't end when these mortal bodies pass from the physical world into the spiritual world. A world where matter and energy don't follow the same patterns as the world we have today. But of course, if the resurrection is not true, then Christianity is just a huge global fraud. And so, in the 19th century, we find one of the most successful attorneys in history. In fact, he's in the Guinness Book of World Records as being the most successful lawyer that human beings have ever had. His name was Sir Lionel, he was British, Sir Lionel Luku. He had won 245 cases in a row. Amazing, successful lawyer. So one day, they came to him and said, Sir Lionel, you know what, for fun, why don't you see if you could defend Jesus? See if you could defend the resurrection. See if it holds water. And they very much expected him to come back and say, you know what? There's no evidence for this. This couldn't have happened. The church just made this up, and this is a whole bunch of baloney. But this was no Christian fanatic. This was no religious zealot. This was a carefully detailed attorney who was versed, and at that time was, you know, was even more versed in the ancient Greek, ancient texts. And so he, of course, being from the British Empire, had access to all of the great texts in the Latin texts and Roman texts. He searched and studied them all for seven years. He began at 57, and at age 64, he made a startling announcement that shocked the British world when he said, that the, that the resurrection could absolutely be defended 
and that at age 64, he had converted to Christianity, gave his heart to Christ, and became a Christian, the most successful attorney in history. But he investigated four theories that were swirling around at the time that still continue to swirl around today. And the first one is the swoon theory, that Jesus never actually died. We know he lived. We know he was real. We know he was executed because we have very verifiable records that all of this took place. We know that Emperor Nero, for example, documented how Christians believed in this crucified and risen Messiah. He even blamed them for the burning of Rome. We have that. So the fact that it was all made up four or 500 years later just does not hold water at all. And the first theory to really come from that was the swoon theory, the fact that Jesus never truly died. And, you know, we do have that today. We have people who kind of appear dead or they die a little bit, but they don't totally die. And they actually, you know, kind of swoon a little bit. And they, and they wake up later and people go, oh, it wasn't really dead. The problem with that, what the play was really supposed to show is Jesus' execution was detailed so horrifically that it would be virtually impossible for a man to have a beating, loss of blood, be crucified, loss of blood, be speared, loss of blood, be set in a tomb for three days, no food and no water, roll back a 750-pound stone with no medical attention, overpower four Roman guards, and then walk seven miles to be on the road to Emmaus to talk to the people. Impossible. Couldn't happen. It's just a theory that doesn't hold water. Second one was the stolen body theory. The thought that the disciples came, stole the body of Jesus, and then proclaimed him risen. Here's the thing. Jesus being risen was probably one of the worst things that could have happened to the disciples, right? Because all of a sudden, the Romans are hunting them. The Jewish leaders are hunting them. Now, people die for their faith all the time. We see that today in the news. But people die for faith when they believe it is true. Say what we want about people who are sacrificing themselves for their faith. They're not doing it because they think it's a lie. They're doing it because they think their religion is true and that they're supposed to do that to gain some sort of reward. People don't die if they think it's false. If the disciples knew that they stole the body and creating some big hoax, and all of a sudden they're about to be crucified for their belief, don't you think they might say, you know what? I ain't dying for what I know is not true. Nobody dies for a lie. And it's very well documented what happened to the 12 apostles after Jesus. 11 of them would be martyred for their faith. Only one really died of natural means. And so it just doesn't hold water. This is what Sir Sir Lionel found. Sir Lionel also investigated the hallucination theory, kind of the Jesus Christ superstar theory, that they're all kind of hippies and psychedelic and doing drugs, and they just thought that they saw Jesus. But the problem is group hallucinations would be even more of a miracle than, than Jesus rising from the dead. If you think about it, if I came up to you and I said, hey, guys, do you remember the dream that we all had last night? You'd go, no, I can barely remember my own dreams, much less your dream. I wasn't inside your head. At first, Jesus appeared to 12 to 25 people, then a few more, sometimes two, sometimes three. But 
at one time, he appeared to over 500 at once. In fact, when Jesus ended his ministry after the resurrection, his church, his followers, numbered just about 500. It wouldn't be to the thousands and millions until after the Pentecost, until after Peter, really. Jesus himself had hundreds of people who had gathered around him and saw him in the resurrection. And then finally, there's the wrong tomb theory. The only problem is this was no small execution. And to have a private tomb in Jesus' day was rare. It's not like they had hundreds of tombs to search for to find Jesus. They had maybe a couple dozen. Uh, if Jesus was in there, they would have eventually found him. Sir Lionel find out, found out none of the theories held water, that Jesus' death and resurrection was a fact of history. And then he began to read the history of the church. He began to read the history of the putting together of the Bible. He began to read the development. And he wrote in his journal, oh my goodness, it was all there right in front of me. It's all there right in front of the world to see. This actually happened. It can be defended, and I would be glad to defend it. And so we come down to evidence, resurrection, fact, or fiction. And obviously today, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I didn't think it was an absolute fact. And the first fact I think you have to look at is the evidence from fulfilled prophecies. We all talk about the prophecies of Jesus being fulfilled, but let's face it, if we really wanted to, we could have orchestrated some of those prophecies to be fulfilled, right? We could have orchestrated Jesus being born in Bethlehem. He was prophesied to be born there. We could have, prophes- we could have orchestrated Jesus going to Egypt. I mean, come on, when you're writing your own life story or your own religious story, you could, you could put it in any details you want. What would be very hard is to have over 20 or have 24 fulfillments of Old Testament prophecy inside of one week of one man's life. Now that would be very difficult. And yet the Bible records no less than 24, and I've actually got them on your note sheet if you want to look at them, 24 fulfilled prophecies in Jesus' day. The second thing is the evidence that comes from the eyewitnesses. Over 500 people saw the risen Jesus. But here's the interesting thing. People today are still seeing the risen Jesus. You ever think about the story of the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul was not one of the original apostles. Jesus appeared to him later, much later, probably 10 to 12 years later than after he ascended into heaven. I mean, Peter, John, all those original apostles, yeah, they saw Jesus Easter Sunday. Paul didn't see him until he was walking, trying to uh, imprison Christians in Syria. He's walking there from Jerusalem, and then he sees Jesus. When I was growing up in the Middle East, I had a friend of mine uh, who was, a, was, a, was an Egyptian Christian, a Coptic Christian. And, uh, and I said, and I remember talking to him, and I remember his dad was a very devout Christian. And I was not. At the time, I was not a Christian at all. I mean, I, I thought it was a bunch of baloney. And, uh, and I remember thinking to myself, man, you know, that's kind of odd that you guys are such Christian in a Muslim country where you really don't get much benefit for it. 
why not? I didn't, think, I didn't think much of religion anyway, so I was like, why not just be a Muslim and get the benefits, right? And, uh, and I remember, you know, he was telling me, he's like, well, you know, he's like, I see how you're thinking, but I mean, you got to meet my dad. My dad had a powerful experience. And I was like, well, what happened to your dad? He's like, well, he used to be Muslim. But one night he was, he was just praying and searching for God, and he, had, he was woken up, and he had a conversation with Jesus Christ risen. And I was like, well, Kareem, do you really believe that? I mean, come on. He's like, you know, if you knew my dad, my dad's not one of those guys. And he was not looking for Jesus. Jesus found him. And so the resurrection and the appearance of Jesus alive continues even to this day. But really, probably the greatest evidence is the evidence you find from changed lives. The person who developed the Harvard School of Law was a man named Simon Greenleaf, a Jewish professor. And the Harvard Divinity School had challenged Simon Greenleaf to try to refute the uh, resurrection. And they wanted to have a debate and a trial and everything. And so Simon Greenleaf accepted that. And so he said, oh, that would be no problem. Christianity is easy to refute. You know, they believe people rise from the dead, you know. And so he investigates, he investigates, he investigates. Three months before the debate is supposed to happen, he cancels it. He says, you know what? I can't debate against this. In fact, that month, he became a Christian right then and there. Simon Greenleaf, you can look it up, the, the, the architect of Harvard Law School. And as he began to investigate the resurrection, he found it absolutely to be true. Edmund Bennett, who was the dean of law at Boston University, had the same challenge in the early 20th century. They came and they said, you know what? We'd like to have a mock trial. We'd like to put Jesus on trial so we can get rid of this Christianity thing once and for all. Edmund Bennett said that'd be great. That'd be wonderful. Fits in the university's ideals. And he was another one. He investigated. He investigated. He investigated. 58 years old, he becomes a Christian. Lee Strobel, award-winning journalist from the Chicago Tribune had the same idea in the early 1980s. He said, you know what? I'm going to refute this because this religious right is starting to bother me. Bothers me too, by the way. And it, it just, you know, it's starting to, you know, this, getting all, this whole religion thing's getting out of hand. We just need to end this once and for all. What happens? Every time you find someone, now I don't, I don't mean the people who don't know how to research. I don't, know the, I don't mean the people who don't know how to work in academic research. I mean the ones who do. Every time they use what they've learned to dig deep, we find in history, they end up becoming a Christian. They end up following a risen Jesus. Why? Because it's the evidence of a changed life. And that's exactly what happened for me a little over when I was a young man. And uh, again, I think what's powerful for me is I was not looking for Jesus at all. At all. Furthest thing from my mind until I began to have these supernatural encounters. And I began to have this life experience that when I began to search for the risen Jesus, he found me long before I ever found him. And I had to re- there was a reaction I had in that moment. I could either do what I'd always done my whole life and just, no, 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 no. You know what Jesus once said about true unbelievers? They could have a miracle happen five feet in front of their face. 
and they'd find a way to dispute it. I was like that. Until at one point I began to realize it was getting harder and harder and harder for me to just explain away the miracle of life. And so there came that point of receiving the good news as true news. And I can tell you this, it's been quite a changed life since I ain't perfect, believe me, I'm probably more ornery than most of you. I probably have thoughts in my head, words that come to me, anger that comes to me on a scale you can't even imagine. I grew up in a very violent city, and so that violence is still there, but I can tell you this right now. Jesus is real. And after 20-some after years of being a Christian, the evidence has only become stronger. A few years ago, a few decades ago in the 50s, it was quite common in the country for pastors to pastor more than one church. And uh, so they would kind of make their rounds. And one time a pastor had to do a funeral, but the church was four hours away from his, from his main church. So he's driving with the undertakers in rural Kansas, and it's kind of a drive. And uh, you know, before they get there, the pastor is dead dog tired. And so they're driving in the hearse, and he sees the nice plush empty casket and he's in a very uncomfortable old car. And so he just says to the undertaker, I'm going to go take a nap so that I don't fall asleep during this funeral. And he climbs into the casket and proceeds to roll over and take a nap in the nice plush casket. Well, he doesn't know this, but the undertaker is about to run out of gas. So he stops at a gas station and he goes in to pay for the gas. And this is the era where they had, uh, uh, what do you call that, where, where the little boy would come out and pump the gas for you. Full service, right? They had full service. So the guy comes out, starts pumping the gas, and he sees the coffin, and he sees the sleeping body in the coffin. And he begins to get creeped out, freaked out, you know? Uh, he'd never seen a dead person in his life. And now he's, and all his eyes as he's pumping the gas are on this dead body. Well, then all of a sudden, the pastor realizes the car stopped moving. He thinks they're there at the destination and he sits right up and he looks at the guy pumping gas. <laughs> the guy pumping the gas drops the gas and starts running down the street. The pastor said, I've never seen anybody run so fast in their life. And the guy driving the hearse goes, why do you think he ran so fast? And the pastor said it perfectly. He said, you know, you don't encounter a resurrection without having a reaction. You either want to hate it, you just don't want to believe it, or you want to embrace it because it fulfills the deep-seated hope that all of us as living beings have, that we're more than just atoms and stardust, that we have a soul, and that that soul is eternal. And so off the kid ran and off he went. So I'd like for us, if you could, to stand with me this morning. And I'd like to read six verses. This is the Easter story. I'm going to ask whether you can choose to believe this and receive this. Or maybe it's not yet time. But listen to this as we read this from Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. Luke says, on the very first day of the week, 
Very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. There they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning, these are angels, stood beside them. And the women were frightened, and they bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. So what will your reaction be this morning? You'd be like the gasoline attendant running faster than you ever have in your life. You say, you know, Tom, it's just a good story. Or maybe you'll say, you know what, Tom? I need to do my own investigation. I would say to you, please do. Please do. Please investigate and join the ranks of Sir Lionel Luku, Lee Strobel, all. Or perhaps for some of you, maybe it's time. Maybe this morning is the morning where you truly see that the cross is the forgiveness of God and the empty tomb is the promise and the hope of eternal life. Two seconds after we die, well, we'll know the truth. Between you and I, I wish that we could make this decision two seconds after we die. It would be a lot more convenient, right? <laughs> to see with our spiritual eyes rather than just these gelatinous orbs we have now. But there's something final about death. We die solidifying spiritually who we are. The, the point of change, the point of spiritual change is while we are flesh and bone in the land of the living. And so I invite you this morning. I have nothing to gain. I get no raise from Easter. There's no financial motive in this. Believe me, it's a hard life to be a Christian minister. I don't do this just because it's fun. But I'm also not lying to you. If I could tell you the 20 years of ministry, the things I've seen with my own eyes that have blown me away, things I don't even understand, I can tell you it's all true. Jesus is alive, and there's power in the name of Jesus. Amen? Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. So this morning, if for you it's a good story, We'll just leave it at that. If you need to investigate, I can help you with that. Or believe me, you can Google it, you can Yahoo it, you can go to the libraries and everything, investigate it yourself. Books on it. There's books for and against it. I, I, I encourage you to read them both. But maybe for some of you, you know what? Man, it is, it's time. It's time. I mean, I, you know, it's time. It's time to step across that line and say, Lord, I believe. You are not here. You are risen. And so this morning, 
as we close with singing about the risen Jesus. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Please, by your heads, close your eyes. I want this to be a private moment. I'm going to ask you to do something more than raise your hand. Or more than look up at me. I'd like you to raise your hand this morning. And just say, you know what? This is the day. Lord, I believe. And let God see it. Let the heavenlies see it. Let all the angels see it. Because they're going to have a party this morning. If that's you, go ahead and raise your hand right now. And just declare with that raised hand, Lord, I believe you are alive. And two seconds after I die, I want to be with you. Go ahead. Amen. 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 Why don't we pray this together? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for the cross of forgiveness. And thank you for the empty tomb that means eternal life. Fill my heart with your spirit and my life with your love. In Jesus' name, amen.